1 Timothy chapter 2 and 3, and uh, that is uh, chapter 2 is, can be one that's pretty interesting. We covered a lot of ground last week. I did two chapters in one night. I'm going to tr- attempt to do that, I think, tonight. We'll see. Um, but just to give you a little update where we're at, and, and if you're new here, what I do uh, typically on Wednesday night is I just take a, ch- a chapter or two out of the Bible, and we usually will go in order, and we're in the book of Timothy, and we break those down verse by verse, line by line, and uh, it's important, This what they call expository teaching is you learn the context when you read it and you're going through it, um, and so it's important to know a lot of that, and I think there's some things that we can glean, so... Um, after uh, talking about the church and its message in chapter 1 in 1 Timothy, and then in chapters 2 and 3, he talks about it's the church and its members. And uh, the, if you can go back and read through chapters 2 and 3, and if you didn't hear what I had to say about that, you can get on our podcast and, and hear what I said about that. Um, and then here we are in chapter 4, Paul talks about the church and uh, her ministry. Why do you call the church a her? Because we're the bride of Christ. Amen. And uh, and so he is exhorting here. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter. It's titled Timothy because he's writing this letter to Timothy and he's exhorting him to be a good minister in verses in chapter four, verses one through six. He talks about him um, being uh, a good minister. And then verses seven through eleven in chapter four, he talks about him being a godly minister. It's one thing to be a good minister. It's another thing to be a godly minister. Amen. And then, and then I like this, the last part of this chapter, uh, 12 through 16, he talks about him being a growing minister. I, I, I really like this. And so um, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, and if you need a subheading here, it, it, you know, a heading at, in front of this little section could be some will depart from the, f- the faith, or we call that the great uh, apostasy, which is a falling away. So verses uh, 1, chapter Four, verse 1 says this, uh, now the, the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of uh, demons. So I read that whole thing, but now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. So this is interesting. The same is true for us today. How many know that... Um, that there are people who walk away from the faith. Some teach that you can't walk away from the faith. Uh, this text tells us otherwise. So that's really interesting. Next, next portion says, by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. Um, and I believe this. I believe we live, ours is a very tough time that we live, live in, spiritually speaking. Um, there's a lot of things going around. I think some of the opinions that you hear of man are oftentimes ones that that demonic spirits have impressed on people, and they carry these things. Uh, How many know that the devil has already lost, and he's going to try to take as many with him as he can? He knows that. And so, although uh, the early church experienced persecution, um, it's been estimated, the early church, that there were six million brothers and sisters that were martyred by the Roman Empire alone. That's incredible. You know, usually when we think about the martyrs of the early church, we don't think of it in terms of being that vast. But it's been estimated about 6 million. The blood of the saints um, proved the seed of the church. 
And that's a problem for Satan when, when that happens, when there are people who are martyred. So um, what the devil did, he changed strategies, unable to beat the church. He joined the church, and he began to seduce people into sleepiness and teachings that were ineffective, all right? And thus, uh, I make this argument that it's tougher to be a Christian in times of prosperity than in persecution, right? Because we're in a a season of prosperity. We put our trust in a lot of other things, our money, our home, our family, whatever the case. But when we're persecuted, man, we learn and lean on on the Lord. How remember uh, uh, where you were, September 11th, 2001? What happened that very next Sunday after September 11th, 2001? The churches in America were full. It's amazing to me. So persecution, um, uh, it uh, necessitates a stand, uh, a declaration, an identification as persecution does. And so um, I, I find that interesting. But in our day, we can go to church on Sunday morning and then Sunday night, turn on Netflix unknowingly falling prey to seducing spirits that may lure us from the faith. I said a mouthful right there. I know that's a lot. I'm not just knocking on Netflix. I, you can just put whatever you want in there. But there are things that that can that we that not all things are bad, but not all things are good. All right. So I think this shows us that uh, why and how the American pros, uh, prosperous church has become weak and oftentimes ineffective. And I'm going to touch on that just in a little bit. Um, and teachings of, of demons through uh, the insincerity uh, in, of liars whose conscience are seared. So uh, these teachings, when we're talking about uh, teachings of demons, are, they often creep into the church. And the only defense in knowing uh, how to rebuke these type of teachings is knowing this word right here, the Bible. Because it is the truth. And it's what we put up against anything. And, man, if anything ever sounds off to you, you you look, open your Bible, study it out, study it out, and let the Holy Spirit begin to speak to you. And, and, and the other thing that we can do is be discerning. Have you ever heard teaching? I know I have. I've heard teaching before where I've been sitting there and I hear someone say something and my spirit go, ooh, that, that's not right. I don't, I, don't, I don't feel like that that's right. So these, these teachings are often corrupt, and they, they're, they're doctrines given to men by demons. And these men's consciences are seared, and, and these men have no sensitivity to God or his people. So, uh, so I, I won't elude any more on that. Uh, verse 3 says this, Who forbid marriage and require uh, abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So... Um, in this, so we're talking about uh, false teachers here. Uh, diabolical uh, doctrines result not only in seared consciences, but also in legal legalism, and it parades as piety or re- religious reverence. Well, I pray 14 times a day. You know, it's piety. It's like, look, I'm, I have a religious reverence or whatever the case. Remember Paul here, he's addressing through the whole book. This is, when you look, when you read 1 Timothy, he is addressing false teachers that had crept into the church at Ephesus. So you've got to keep that in the back of your mind because that will help, help you understand what he's trying to say. He's, he's addressing these false teachers 
But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be wise to things to these things today. So how do I know what is good and what is right? Again, I'm going to point you back to this book right here. You compare it with this book right here. Um, for everything created by God is good. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, hey, you're good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. There's proof that you should pray over your food right there. All right. Um, so um, we go back to the Old Testament, and they had all these rules and regulations of what you could, could and couldn't eat. The Levitical diet, dietary laws are pictures, and you've heard me talk about the law. The, the law always points to our nature, and, and, and it shows that we, we fail daily, right? I, I can promise you if we put the Ten Commandments up there and we had to mark off the ones that we've done, we would all fail in the building. That's what the law d does. It's like a schoolmaster. It teaches us. Um, but what, what Paul is saying here, those, those things, those dietary things, they're legalistic. And so some of the false prophets were saying, hey, you can eat this, you can't eat this. Let's, you know, this different things. And so in Second Colossians, Paul would say it like this to the, to the church there in Colossae. Uh, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on your question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come. Why is he saying that? Because people were teaching, hey, you have to follow these festivals, these, sa these things that, that were there and, but, and need to understand. So these are a shadow of things to come. But the substance, look, I love this scripture, but the substance belongs to Christ. So it's not so much about the legalistic ways of eating and all this stuff. It all comes back to Jesus. Instead, we are to, this is what he says, to pray constantly and give thanks continually. So um, the next subheading in this chapter is a good servant of Jesus, uh, of Christ Jesus. How many want to be a good servant for Christ Jesus? I like this. Um, Paul says this, if you put these things before uh, the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And... Uh, um, a good way to say that is this, stay away from esoteric posturing. What is that? <laughs> when only a few people will understand. Some of you didn't even understand what I just said, right? Esoteric posturing. Well, what I was really saying was put it in terms where anybody can understand. And that's what, you know, we, we try to do. I mean, you can get up here and you can say all kinds of big words. You can say all kinds. You can show people how smart you are. People may leave here scratching their head going, what in the world happened there? <laughs> but here's the, here's, the, here's the next thing that he he's talks about is the dietary discussion and legalism. So he's talking about, you know, hey, some people are saying you have to eat this specific way. You got to follow the laws that the Jews did. You can, you can have a relationship with Jesus, but you still need to do these traditions and these things. And, and what Paul is saying here is this. In other words, keep the main thing the main thing. Keep it simple, right? K-I-S-S, -S, keep it simple, Skiles. That's what I say. I can say it like that. Some of you don't have that, that as the, the last part of your last name. For some of you, you know what that, the last part of that says. The main thing is Jesus Christ, amen? Um, so if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in, in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. He's, remember, he's talking to Timothy. And verse 7, have nothing to do with 
ir irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. So and this is interesting. During this time um, of Paul and Timothy at this time, the Romans had mythology and the Greeks had mythology. And they like to talk about these mythological things and trying to figure out where they came from and who was a descendant of this or that. And Paul saying, don't worry about silly things. Instead, study godliness. Don't worry about when people try to come to you. You know, sometimes as a pastor, I'm asked some, some pretty interesting questions sometimes. Maybe not about mythology or whatever, but some people may come and ask me some questions. And you know what I do when they try to, like, go to something maybe that's mainstream or something, I don't know, that's reared its head up here. It's mythology, and this time it may be something of our time. Someone may ask me, you know what I do? I pull the conversation back to Jesus Christ because i got to keep the main thing the main thing. Verse 8, for while bodily training is, uh, is of some value, notice it doesn't say a lot of value. It says some value, right? Um, I heard this. I thought this was interesting. It's been said, for every hour you spend at the gym, you will gain one hour of life. So you spent an hour to gain an hour. That's interesting, right? So, <laughs> so you may be adding an hour to your life, but you're already losing an hour at the gym. That's the point <laughs> right there. I, was, I knew some of you would catch on. And you're in a gym with stinky people working out, right? Uh, but uh, the Greeks put a lot of emphasis on, on the physique of, of a person, right? And, and Paul's older here, and he's saying exercise has value, but more important than trying to get pumped up like Hans and Franz, he said, is to have, uh, some of you, that went right over your head. Some of you just are in my age group. You're right there with me. All right. Um, you should be exercising your spiritual muscles, pumping up those muscles, not uh, the other ones, and exercising yourself in godliness. So um, this is kind of interesting. If you have to choose between working out or worshiping, choose worshiping every time. Somebody said, oh, I like that one. Thank you, Pastor. I, that's a good excuse to cancel my gym membership, right? If you have to choose between Bible study or bodybuilding, Bible study will be more beneficial. Jogging is good for uh, moving your muscles and, and bending your joints, but I wish people would jog their memory with the Scripture and the Word of God. Bending their knees in prayer, pressing uh, their faith and curling the good book, the Bible, right? I, I find that very interesting. I, and there's nothing wrong with exercise. You ought to exercise. It's good. It's important. You need to be balanced in your life. You know what? This is the temple of the Lord. Uh, uh, and so we ought to take care of our bodies, be the best you can, you know. Uh, what was it, uh, Mark Lowry, he said, hey, I want to eat like I want because I want to die young and make a pretty corpse. <laughs> I don't think that's the case here. But godliness is of value uh, in every way. It holds promise. Do you know the exercise of your body does not hold promise necessarily? How many have been to the gym and you just can't seem to lose that last five pounds, Right. All right, am I the only one? I'm the only one that's honest. All right, uh, it holds, uh, but here's the thing. Godliness is a value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. Um, a life of godliness is a win-win situation um, because those who choose to follow such a life will be both blessed presently and through 
eternity. You know what exercise does? It's good for me now. But in eternity, it won't matter because when I'm in heaven, I'll have a new body anyways. All right. Some of you are with me. Some of you are not. All right. Verse 9. I like how Paul says this a lot in Timothy. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That means you ought to pay attention to it. You ought to underline it. You ought to look at this. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God. You know what I love about Paul is he was not really worried about everything that was going on around him. He always kept his eyes on the prize. He had his eyes set just like you said in Philippians. You know, we, we, we go towards that goal. And his goal was this. You know, I, Paul, they couldn't figure him out. You know, hey, we'll kill Paul. And Paul's like, to die is to gain. They're like, well, we can't kill him, so we'll throw him in jail. I'll just preach the gospel to every person in jail. Man, what is this guy? We cannot get him down. He's like trying to hold an ill. Be like Paul. Be like an ill where they can't, they can't discourage you. They can't make you quit. Let me ask you this. If, if the USA had fallen to a dictator or some kind of power and they were killing Christians or throwing Christians in prison, is there proof that your neighbors would identify you as a Christian? It's a good question, right? Um, here's the thing. As believers, sometimes we need to toil and strive, but our hope is always set on Jesus Christ. I had a conversation with a, a young man that I was a mentor of in a program that I was a part of. And um, I hadn't talked to him in a while, and uh, the other day I texted him because the Lord t put him on my heart, and I texted him just to see how he was doing. And uh, he had just got back from Brazil doing a, a missions-type thing down there in Brazil. And I said, how are you doing? He's in Arizona. His name is Oz, A-Z. A his name is not Oz. Well, it's, it's spelled A-Z. I know that don't make any sense, but that's his name, Oz. That's what he goes by. And, and, and I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing good. He said, and I said, how's the church? And how are these things going? And, and he's reporting back to me, the church is doing good. He said, man, I just got back from Brazil. And he said, man, they put a fire underneath me. He said, I have got to get busy doing something. He goes, those people down there are on fire for God. He said, I come back here to the States and I get discouraged. And I said, well, don't be discouraged. Just start doing what God has placed in your heart. Put one foot in front of the other. Keep going and going and going. And sometimes in ministry, we feel like we're, we're toiling or we're striving. But here's the thing. When, that, when I get that way, you know what I have to do? I have to change my, from looking at my problem to looking at my hope, who is Jesus Christ. Amen? Who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So here comes some good news. You ready for it? The result of godliness is persecution. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. You guys aren't excited about that, right? Uh, but, but keep in mind, Timothy, that Jesus is the Savior of all men. Even the people that persecute you, Jesus is the Savior of, all right? Look at this. Verse 11 says this, command and teach these things. Timothy, this is how you are to be a good minister. Are you ready? Simple things. Reminding people of the simple truth. Jesus loves you. Jesus died on a cross for you. Jesus rose from the dead for you. Jesus loves you. Reminding people of the simple truth. And he says this. Here's another thing. Be a godly minister. 
exercising spiritual disciplines. Remember, they're more beneficial than the, than the physical ones. So here comes the third area that Timothy was to be doing is this, a growing minister. Everyone say a growing minister. That doesn't mean physically. That means spiritually, right? So, um, so verse 12 says this. Let no one, oh man, most of us can quote this verse. Anyone that's been in youth group can quote this verse. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So Timothy here is probably in that 35 to 40 year old range. I'm glad that I am still a youth. I'm hanging by a, by, by a, by a <laughs> fingernail. I'm barely hanging. But according to this, I'm still a youth. How many are hanging with me? All right. All right. Thank you. Just hang in there with me. All right. Um, uh, but Timothy, be an example to other believers. And, and, and it's really simple in how you live. And here's the thing. When people look at you and they say, hey, you're too young, the antidote to that is this, life experience. I may be young, but I have some life experience. How many have experienced some things in your life? You've been through some things. You know, you know oftentimes we sometimes say, hey, just because someone's old, they're wise. That's not true. Sometimes wise people are just people that have had some life experience. So, so there's six areas to be an example in. Are you ready for this? Number one, in word. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Right? I mean, some of you know what I'm talking about. That means in our conversation, I need to be an example in my conversation, in what I say, the words that come out of my mouth. People ought to, nothing in my, that comes out of my mouth should discourage people from coming to know Jesus Christ. That's an example. I'm showing you, hey, hey, your kids, for those of you who have kids in the house, your kids ought to be listening to what you're saying. And you, some of you say, where did you learn that word? And they're like, you, you're, it's because you're an example. Be, be an example in word. Here's the second one, conduct or behavior. <sighs> you know, how many has ever said this to your kids? Don't do, what I, don't do as I do, right? Like I've heard people say that. It's like, well, that's the dumbest thing you could ever tell. You're, just be an example right out the gate in your conduct, in your behavior, how you respond. Here's the next one, in love. Um, uh, but it's not our love, but it's the love of God. It's not Timothy's love. It's the love of God in Timothy. So I need to be able to respond. People ought to know me by how I love others. Uh, the example of Christ that I have, I'm loving others. I'm, I'm guiding them to the truth. Here's the next one, in spirit. Everyone say in spirit. All right. For the four of you that said that. In spirit. The attitude of the power uh, of the Holy Spirit. You know what? Think about how long-suffering that the Holy Spirit is with us. How fast do we fly off the handle at times? Sometimes you just got to close this big trap and whew, maybe take a walk around the block five times. Come back. Okay, I got this clear. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Help me to get my attitude in check. Here's number five, uh, faith. Everyone say faith. Meaning, Timothy, hey, you are to trust God. People ought to look at you and go, man, that 
young Pastor Timothy, he has so much faith, he just trusts God for everything. An example here, here's the last one, six. You ready for this? Purity, everyone say purity. That's both in sexual manners and in thoughts. Oh, had to add that last little little one right there. And these elements are not only for, for, for the young, but should be desired and practiced and developed by all Christians, truly, okay? And so these, they're, they're these. So here's the problem. Here's the problem right here. It's easy to exhort others, but tougher to be an example. It's easy for me to lay this list out for you right here, but it's a lot harder for me to live that list. I'll give you an example right here. The story goes like this. Son said a concerned father, you're not studying the way you could. When Abraham Lincoln was your age, he didn't have a computer and he didn't have lights. He walked 15 miles through the snow just to check out a book at the library and then walked 15 miles back home. Then he would read that book uh, uh, by, by the fireplace light. When he was your age, do you see what he did? Well, replied the son, when Abraham Lincoln was your age, he was the president of the United States. So that's a prime example of, hey, I can tell you, I can show you, but, but, I, but it's example, it's the example that's going to, to be the land, landing, ending result. So exhorting is not enough, but examples are made to follow, right? Dads, you want your kids to be more spiritual? You be more spiritual. You want your kids to be more faithful? You be more faithful. Mom, you want your kids to worship more? You be the example of a worshiper. You want your kids to follow Jesus? You follow Jesus with every fiber that you have in you, and your kids will follow. And the key here is being an example. Everyone say, be an example. Verse 13, until I come... Uh, Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So um, Paul is, is making plans to go see Timothy. He's, he's, this is his text message to him. Hey, before I come, I'm just letting you know here, I'm going to come see you. Make sure that you're reading the Word, Timothy. Make sure you're growing in the faith. Um, and I believe this. One of the most neglected things in the church amongst people is the reading of God's Word. You know why? Because it's hard. It's a hard discipline to create. It's a hard discipline to follow. And I promise you, if you'll take some time out, 15 minutes a day, read some scripture and set that time within, they say it takes 21 days to make a habit. I promise within 21 days, you'll have that habit and you'll be wanting more and more. And you ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you and to help feed that thing. You'll grow, 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 grow. What's that song? Read your Bible and pray every day and you'll... Grow, grow, grow. You what? Neglect your Bible. Forget to pray and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. All right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. That's all right. That's, a, that's, an, old, that's an old Sunday school junior church song. Verse 14 says this. Do not uh, neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So Paul tells young Timothy, hey, don't forget about the gift. And you say, hey, what gift? What gift is that? And that's the spiritual gift that was given to him through Christ through a prophetic utterance or a prophetic word by the elders that laid hands on him, obviously. 
Um, and this was probably done in Lystra, which is where Timothy was from. And most likely, Paul was probably part of that group. Uh, and here's the thing about this gift. And it doesn't say what the gift is. It just says, hey, don't neglect that gift. Um, it doesn't, I, I think it kind of, I think it's kind of neat that it doesn't, but Timothy knew what that gift was. Paul knew what that gift was. And so he's saying, hey, don't neglect those things. Have you ever had somebody that just looked into you and said, hey, I see something about you and it just spoke to you. They, they knew it. Like I had a guy pray over me one time. I didn't know this guy very well. He prayed over me and he just began to just kind of prophesy over me and, and which was, which was great. And I was excited, and I, I left charged. And then the next time I saw him, I walked into a church service, and he just happened to be there. And he just came up and was so excited to see me. And he just and he said, man, don't forget about that word that God gave you. It's a good reminder to me. So the thing about gifts is this. When we have a gifting, we focus on the weakness, our weakness, instead of the strength, Right? If I'm gifted at something, I focus on the weakness. That's, that's usually what happens is this. Well, um, well, what do you mean by that? If, um, you know, maybe you are good at greeting people and you're like, well, I want to be part of the worship team. Well, you can't sing. Why are you focusing on your weakness? Focus on your strength. You've got a happy smile. Be out there, greet people. Put a smile on people's face when they walk into this building. So, and, and if you're gifted at singing, hey, Join the worship team. If you're gifted to work with kids, God has doubly blessed you. Then plug into the children's ministry. Uh, good at, good at one situation, you know, maybe you're good at counseling, one-on-one uh, -on -one counseling. Well, maybe you're not good to be up here speaking in front of everybody, you know. Maybe you just freeze, you know. Uh, you, know uh, you know, they say that public speaking is most people's number one fear, and I, the other day they were talking about fears with my kids, and I said, I said, I think public speaking is one of my fears. And Zaylee goes, I said, it's a joke, Zaylee, it's a joke. Here's the thing, God, when God's in it, and your strength, and your gifting, do it with all your might, with, 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 and go with it, okay? Verse 15 says this, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your, what? You should be, what? Progressing. You should be growing. If you're in the same place this year that you were last year, you're not practicing. That's not even in my notes. Um, I, I, I like this because, you know, uh, you know, at times... We have to find a quiet place. We have to meditate quietly. You know, there's, there's moments where there's a lot of chaos. When I was coming back from uh, uh, Missouri, or if we were driving in Missouri, sometimes my kids, they were not being mean, but they were loud in the back. You know what I'm talking about? As a parent, sometimes you're just like, you know, you just kind of get in your little zone, and you just kind of like sit there, and all this is going on, and you're just like, they're not fighting, so I'm going to just be nice and not say anything. But, you know, sometimes, though, you got to get in your quiet place, and you got to meditate, right, with a quiet heart. Um, Exodus 32.1 says that Moses spent 40 days communing with God while, the, while ever, the, all the rest of Israel was sitting there waiting on him, and they grew weary, waiting on him. 
Verse 16 says this. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. He's talking to Timothy here. You be careful what you're teaching, right? Be careful what you're teaching. Persist in this, for by doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So here's the benefit of being a teacher, um, you know, especially Bible teaching and, and, and um, is this. When I teach it, I hear it. I have two ears and one mouth, so you know what? I should listen more than I speak. That's, that's the common rule, right, what, what, what we're supposed to be doing. But as I teach this, it, as it's coming out of me, I'm also putting it back in me. That's, that's interesting. So, so over and over again, I am reminded of this as I teach the Word of God. God's basic truth, it just always comes back in me. And I, I love it. As I'm teaching you, you may be benefiting from it. You may not. You may be catching some Z's right now. I don't know what your situation is. But I pray that you're benefiting from it. But if you're not, I am. So over and over again, I, I'm reminded of the basic truths of the Bible. And I greatly need to know them. I don't know about you. I'm a little hard-headed. Anybody else a little hard-headed at times? So God just keeps, he's just going to, I'm going to get it in there one way or the other. I had a basketball coach who told us this. We were a terrible team. I'll admit it right off the get-go. We were not good. We were not bad, but we weren't good. How about that? We sure, had, we sure tried hard. And my freshman year, I was on the freshman team, and there were six of us on the team. I went to a little bitty school in Missouri, six of us on the team. And I was one of the tallest guys. What does that tell you? Man, but nobody could run a press defense for four <laughs> periods like we could. That's all we could do is just run, run. We were running gun style team. That's all we had. We lost a lot of games. Anyways, uh, what was I talking about? Oh, my coach, my coach. He told us, and, and man, it stuck with me. My basketball career didn't take off, but this stuck with me. So thank you, coach. He said this, practice doesn't make perfect. It makes permanent. The more that you practice something, the more permanent it becomes in you over and over and over. So, so when I read and when I study, when I teach the word, it becomes hidden in my heart. You know what happens when it gets hidden in my heart? That I might not, what, sin against So there's benefits to this thing. So everyone say, say practice makes permanent. All right. I'm going to jump into this, I, I, and I may not cover it all, but we'll try to get into it. So here's uh, chapter 5. This is all instruction for the church. Everyone look around and say, that's us. All right? All right. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1 says this. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. One time I was leaving the hospital after visiting a lady in California, of course, everything crazy happens in California. And as I'm walking out, there's an old man. I think he's in a handicapped spot trying to, to get out. And someone else, anyways, they, I don't think that their car's hit, but they're getting in an argument. And a young guy and an old man are sitting there just yelling at each other. And they're arguing back and forth. The old man's trying to get in his car. The young man's trying to get inside the hospital. And as he's walking away, he's yelling at the old man. The old man's yelling at him. And I'm just sitting over there in my car going, what in the world is going on over here? 
Now we get to think about this. I, I, I mentioned this one time when I was preaching and someone came up to me and said, hey, if, a, if an old person is wrong, you know, and I said, well, you know, you should always respect your elders. You should honor them, you know, in some form or fashion. So and, and this verse says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him. Encourage him as you would a father. So Paul's saying this to young Timothy. Hey, this is an important word. As a young minister full of zeal, sometimes, sometimes I can, we can be prone to be know-it-alls. Right? I have a 16-year-old son. He knows a thing or two. He thinks mom and dad don't know a thing or two. Some of you know what I'm talking about. All my, all my older people who have older kids are like, mm-hmm, been there, done that already. Praying for you, Pastor. But, but, but in reality, as we go through life, we realize we don't know as much as we thought we did. Right? How many are a little bit older now? How many feel like you know a lot less than you thought than you thought you used to? I remember when I was 21, I knew more than I do now at 40. <laughs> I had all the answers. You guys were all wrong. I have the answer. Now that I'm 40, I'm like, you know what? I know nothing. I'm learning this, all right? Some of you are smiling at me real big because you're like, I'm exactly right there with you, Pastor. All right, sorry. Let's let's keep going. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So, within the church uh, family, we're to teach older men with respect, older women with devotion. Um, everyone else, brother and sister, and so, and whether they're the same age or younger than us. So, purity here reminds us uh, how we should treat each other, and 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 in this case, men treat. Young women with purity of heart and in relationship. All right, right here, verse, verse 3. So this next section is this, honor widows, true widows, okay? Uh, honor widows, true widows. So verse 3 says this, honor widows who are truly widows. <laughs> what is a widow? Honor widows who are truly widows. Honoring, okay, let's look at this word honor. Honor is this. It's the word that means to command respect. Command respect. In Acts chapter 6, there's some tension in the early church. And they're arguing over the care for widows if they're Greek or if they're Hebrew. They're showing partiality to some but not to others, okay? So before Social Security and life insurance and all those things, um, the church met a lot of the needs for widows to, to help take care of the widows. So look at this, verse 4, all right? Everyone buckle up. We're about to have some fun in here, all right? But if a widow has children or grandchildren, <clears throat> let, them first, uh, uh, let, uh, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So if you are a child of a parent, you are to return the favor that they did for you when you were young. Oh. So if a widow had had children or grandchildren, it was it was not the responsibility of the church to take care of the widow. It was the children and the grandchildren, okay? So there was those um 
you know, at that time, and you would see this today if, if we did this all the time, people would say, hey, it's okay. Mom goes to such and such church. We don't have to take care of her. The church will take care of her, right? Easy way out. Easy way out. I, I, I like how Paul addresses this. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. One of the characteristics of a widow is, is to be cared for by the church, but, but it's to be cared for specifically by her children and her grandchildren are supposed to take care of her. So does that mean we can't do things for widows? Absolutely not. That means that if a widow has a need, we'll reach out, we'll do what we can. You know, one of the great things that our men, men do is we cut uh, a dear widow in our church her grass every every chance we get to do that. And some of you didn't even realize that that happens. But we do that about every two weeks because you know why? Because we can help her out. She needs our help. She's in this, in this position where she needs that. And I can appreciate this line uh, of thought by Paul because how many know that if you give people an inch, they'll take a, right? All right. I'm not there. There's a lot of selfish people, right? So verse 5 says this, she who is a truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. So now we're going to get a little bit little bit more more pointed on what exactly what Paul's talking about these these specific widows. So oftentimes in Ephesus widows had given uh, had given themselves uh, much to prayer and, and and so their hope there is only in God. I begin to think about this. I was talking to my mom um, this yesterday about my great-grandmother. Her name is Maple Reed. And Maple Reed uh, was five, no, I'm sorry, not five foot, four foot, ten year, four foot ten years, four foot ten inches tall. When I was a little kid and I got to what I, we call her little grandma, I don't know why, but uh, but when I got to little grandma's height, I thought I was like, you know, I was probably seven. But when I got to her height, I thought I was the tallest person in the whole wide world. And her husband died when she was 52, my mom was telling me. And she was a widow. And he was a, a minister of the gospel. And she just kept just loving God, preaching, praying. And I remember one time we stopped by her house. And we had one of my friends. We were on our way home from somewhere. And we stopped by her house just to see her for a few minutes. I remember walking in her house, my friend was there with us, and my great-grandmother was one of the most praying women I've ever seen in my life. You, you could walk in, and you could already tell that she had been praying in that place. And we walked in, and she's just sitting there, and we sang some songs with her, and, and, and she began to tell us about the good things of God. And she began to pray, and I looked over at my friend. Who, who he did go to church, and I looked over at my friend, and he's over, and she is praying, and he's got tears rolling down his eyes while she's praying this prayer over us, and I was I was amazed by that. I remember one time at family reunion we went, and they said, "Little grandma, we want you to pray over the food." She prayed over that food, and there were people there who were not believers in Christ, and by the time she got done praying over that food, they were in tears, crying, very anointed. It was a woman who had given herself to the things of God. Amen. So, uh, so verse 5. So, she who truly is a widow left alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. Verse 6. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. 
see the difference here? Now, I, I mentioned this earlier, and I, I promise I'm almost done here. Um, I mentioned this earlier last, last week that the church of Ephesus had, had these rich widows who were there, and they would come in adorned in great garment, garments. They had lots of money, and they, they were trying to make it about themselves. So this is why Paul is addressing this. If an older woman is living for pleasure or, uh, uh, or ungodly life, they are merely going through the motions of life. So self-indulgence is more about one's comfort rather than pleasing God. That's a good statement right there. Self-indulgence is more about one's pleasure rather than seeking God. So dead here means someone who has not connected to the church. Verse 7 says this. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So let's just leave that verse right there. Some of us may struggle with that. But here's the thing. It's up to, a, it's up to the grandchildren or a child to take care of your parents and your grandparents. So don't, don't just leave it to the church. And I believe this principle goes down the line. So let's look at this real fast. Mom and dad, um, the church should not be expected to foster your teenager's spiritual walk. If you're depending on us to, to lead your kids one hour a week, you, you're missing it. We're, we'll do what we can with what we have. The time that we have, we'll impute truth to them and love to them. But listen, you're going to do more at home being an example every day. And we'll, we'll edify them. How about this? Preschool parents, your child's uh, introduction to Jesus starts in your home, not here on Sundays. Yeah, we'll partner with you. Hey, we'll, we'll, we'll partner with you and... We'll teach them God, and we'll, we'll try to keep them growing spiritually as a team. But parents, you're more effective as an example for your children on a daily basis than we have the short time that we have in the, within the week. So, so um, we get your kids just a few hours a week, and so you get them the rest of the time. Verse 9 right here, I promise, and then we'll hopefully come here to a close. I don't know if this will be a good place to end or not, but uh, look at this. Verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been a wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So here's the qualifications for a widow for receiving help. Number one, she's got to be above 60 years of age is what, what, what Paul's writing here to Timothy. I believe that Tim, he is writing this specifically for Timothy for the church of Ephesus. I don't think this is a blanket statement necessarily for everybody. Faithful wife and a good mother who had good reputation and given to hospitality, refreshed the saints, helped the hurting, and, and didn't uh, and didn't have a family to take care of her. So, a widow indeed uh, that would that would that would qualify a widow right there. That's her. That's the qualifications for the church to help a widow. Right. So we're looking at that again. Remember, there was a lot of rich widows younger than than sixty at this time, and they're kind of working the system here. And so Paul's kind of addressing that. So, verse eleven. You know what? Let's do this. We'll stop right there. We'll stop right there. We'll pick right back up there next week. We'll get through chapter 6. Can you do this? Um, how many know that the Word of God, sometimes it's hard? 
but you know it's all edifying and it's all good for us. Say, why is all this in here? Well, Paul's writing to Timothy who is trying to build a church and he's giving him some wisdom to help him out to share some things. So this, this is why these things are in there. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. God, thank you for your strength today. Um, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just bless this body. God, it is an honor to serve here. God, it is an honor to, to pastor here. God, I, I'm grateful for uh, being able to impute into people's lives. God, I pray, Lord, these things that we learned in chapter 4, Lord, and, in, and partially into chapter 5, Lord, that they would help us to grow, God, as a, as a church. God, what our role is and what our purpose is. God, God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be to do the things that you do. God, I believe, Lord, the things that we saw this Sunday, God, were just a small reflection of, of things to come. God, I believe greater is coming. God, as we lean into you, God, because that's all we know how to do, God, I pray, Lord, that you would order our steps. Lord, that you would lead this body, God, with power and might. God, we'll give you the praise until the next time that we meet.